0: Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of The Players' Lounge, the tennis podcast that focuses on the mental aspects of the game. My name is Jennifer Regan, I am a former professional tennis player, and I launched this podcast because I wanted to create a space in which tennis players could find tools and solutions in order to improve their mental skills. But this podcast is not only for tennis players, It is also for parents and coaches whose ambition is to help their kids and players to reach their full potential on and off the court. If you are a regular listener to the Players' Lounge podcast, thank you so much for your support. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. And at the end of the episode, if you like what you hear, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe, leave comments, and preferably Five stars on Apple Podcast. It would help me to increase the podcast visibility and to grow the Players Lounge community. If you're not on Apple Podcast, no worries. We're also available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Deezer, Acoust, and many more. That's it, guys. French Open is. Over And the least we can say is that we had our fair share of high emotions in the past two weeks. Starting in the first week with the surprising withdrawals of Naomi Osaka and Roger Federer. And then in the second week, we had that insane and incredible semifinal between between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal the surprising victory of Barbara Krejcikova, and finally that amazing final when Novak Djokovic was losing two sets to love against Stefanos Tsitsipas and managed to come back and get his 19th Grand Slam. Because there was a lot of lesson that we can take from this second Grand Slam of the year, I decided to divide this French Open summary episode in two parts. In this first part, I will focus on the mental strategies that Barbara Krijikova and Novak Djokovic used in order to take the edge over their opponents. This part, in this episode, you will learn about the power of being an outsider, the how to use your stress and nervousness in order to get the win. The importance of having a clear game plan and how to take responsibility. And then, in the second part of the episode, we will learn about the power of planification and decision making, how to master the capacity of not panicking when you are losing during a match, and finally, why it is very important to be completely fine with with having being. Ambitions. All right, let's go. We'll start with Barbara Krejčikova. I'm sure that uh, at the beginning of the tournament, no one was picturing the Czech uh, player to lift the trophy in the second sa- Saturday. She, although she had won Strasbourg prior to the French Open, which is a, a very good, um, you know, tune-up uh, tournament. Nobody was, uh, was thinking that she would leave, leave the trophy. She's, she was, uh, until then, mostly known for a, a doubles career. She had already won four Grand Slams uh, prior to the French Open. Then she added another one, a fifth one, when she, she also won the, the doubles tournament. But she was really mainly known to be... Um, to be a doubles uh, player. So that's why it's very interesting. The first point that I want to focus on is the power of being an outsider. One of the things that uh, we sometimes uh, overlook is that when you're an outsider, it actually it is a really great advantage because, uh, number one, all the attention usually is, you know, on the favorite players to the person that we expect to win the tournament so uh, no one really pays attention so that's something that you can really use if you're going to a tournament and that you see that you had a good preparation and you had a good uh, a chance to win like Coming, being a bit of the underdog, is really something that you can definitely use. And in the case of Barbara Krejcikova, she she was the best player after the seeded players. She had played consistently. She had been improving consistently, and she had time to develop to develop a game uh, under the radar, if I must say. So starting as an outsider was definitely a huge advantage for her and it's something that you can definitely use when you are playing tournaments because the attention is, like I said, the attention is not on you, but it's also another advantage. It helps you to, like, especially in the first round, to kind of, you know, walk into your game a bit, like, slowly. Like like I said, the attention is not on you, so you, you have more time to kind of uh, start your game and to... To not um, crumble under the pressure and to find your game and your rhythm little by little, and that's what she did. In the first match she had, she actually uh, had a three-set match against uh, Christina Pliskova. She lost the first set. Maybe she was a bit stressed, and she had a bit time to recover from a win at Strasbourg. But it, you know, to have this first match difficult, we always say, we often hear players say that. The fact that they have a very tough first round is something a very good way to to get into the tournament. And in that case, we we saw that match after match, she actually um, became more and more comfortable with the game. She was able to, you know, to to get on the stage. Uh, on the bigger stage uh, in a nicer way that she had started right away as a favorite and on the, on the first round on Philippe Chatrier court. She, she was definitely more relaxed as the tournament, uh, um, you know, uh, evolved. And uh, that the fact, the power of the outsider, like I said, is a great way to keep some mental energy. Uh, when you play especially Grand Slam tournaments, one of the main things that – you need to be able to do in order to to get the final win is the ability to keep your mental energy intact to keep as much as um and mental energy as possible and that's what she was able to do uh towards the end of the tournament you know she seemed tired but she was also uh able to always find the mental resources to, to be able to prevail at the end. So that's something that is quite important, you know, and it's really one of the advantages of being an outsider. That's something I, I wanted to focus. Then the second point is how to use your stress in order to win, how to, to make your stress your enemy. Uh, if, I, if I must say, I think that for me, Barbara Krejiková won the tournament Uh, in the fourth round before playing against Sloane Stephens. And I will explain why she said in the press conference after that match that when she woke up that morning, she was extremely stressed. She didn't want to go on court. She was crying 30 minutes before the match. She went to see a physio and she, she really was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to play. And then she talked to a sports psychologist and I think what the reason why I'm saying that your nervousness can be really an asset is if you actually deal with it. And that's exactly what she did. She didn't try to pretend that she was fine and she didn't hide that emotion. And that's why for me was definitely the shift of the tournament. She was able to, to face this because what happened with her is that, before playing against Sloan Stevens, she just had beaten Elena Svitolina. That was, oh, it was always one of the favorites. So all of a sudden, she's starting to have that pressure that I just talked about, and she didn't know how to deal with it. But by expressing that stress you know she was crying and that's okay it happens we all had that one morning where we don't want to go on court because we feel so stressed i mean i know i had i don't know about you guys but i know this is something that happens uh to tennis players and instead of trying to say okay i'm gonna be fine i'm gonna be fine and then just to to try to deny it because let me tell you something if you do that stress will come that's for sure you will not be able to just like Block it. It will come, and it will come at the worst moment. By dealing with it prior to the game uh, was definitely something that helped her to to um, to prevail at the end. So what she she said that a sports psychologist told her, and I think this is that was the most interesting part. She told her, "Hey, look, right now it is not about winning or losing that much. Forget about it." So the one thing that she does is that she takes away, you know, the importance of the results. That's the number one thing. And then she tells her, okay, what you want to do is to go on court. Just go on court will be a win. And I want you just to show up and to try your best and to really, uh, and that's how you're going to deal with your emotion. Just biggest thing is to go on court and to show up. And that will be a huge personal victory. So what's happening, right? What is happening here? The psychologist of Barbara Krojikova took away, because took away the, the importance of the results. And I think this is why we are stressed, because we are afraid to, to lose. We are afraid to perform badly, to be to disappoint our coaches, parents, whoever is around us. And that's by taking that off, you know, she's taking like a lot of pressure of Barbara Kritikova's shoulders. And then she said, and then she replaced that by a bigger challenge, something that she, she can actually apply on a regular basis. It's not about, you know, the win. It's about how you show up on the court. It's about who you are as an identity. I'm, I'm really big, as you guys know, on identity training. And I think that this was a very good example it was no longer about like coming you know as a tennis player it was about coming as a fighter that's your identity you come on court and you show up so she replaced that importance of the result by the importance of you know of being of um, of showing values on the court and it proved to be very successful because she won the game six to six love and then she she actually was able to relax and to and to play a best tennis. So when you are in that situation, uh if you want to play a match and you find yourself extremely stressed, that's a very good drill to the very good tip to do. Uh, it's it to just focus on objectives that you can control. How am I going to perform? Okay, I'm extremely stressed. So my goal is to show up on the court and to move my legs. It can be anything, something that, you know, you feel you're capable of doing. But you have to go step by step. I show up on court. I'm going to give my best. I'm going to move my legs. It can be anything. I'm going to play all my my, my, uh, my shots cross court for the first three games. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is but this is what you need to focus on. And I think that was something extremely um, extremely smart from a uh, uh, Kreshikova psychologist to do. And, and we saw that she was able to do that many times during the tournaments, which leads me to my third point. And this is the importance of having a clear game uh, plan because it's going to help you in very stressful situation. I'm really being on, you know, having a strong... Um, strong game planes, you know strong like plays that you use during the during the tense during the tough points you know the, the one of the first questions that I ask people when I work with them is what would you do when it's for all in the third use and you're serving what, what is your go-to strategy? And the reason why I asked this, and if you haven't listened to the first episode of this podcast, you know, how to define your tennis DNA, I really recommend you to go and listen to it because this is really the basic for me. And this is something that I always encourage players and coaches and to, to really sit down and define the tennis identity. And it's not about what the player can do. It's what the player feels also comfortable with. Because when it comes to crunch time, you go to your DNA. You come to what is your core of your play. If you're a defensive player, you might want to, you know, play a game that would be more defensive. It's not the time to go and serve and volley. It might work, you know, uh, from time to time. But I think that you want to use the strategy you are the strongest at. And that's, for me, like very the basic when we look at uh, barbara krzikova definitely she was able to do that because we like i said she had a lot of uh, matches under her belt she played against strasbourg she she won a lot of matches so she was very comfortable and confident about a game on top of that she was playing doubles as well and she was winning so she you know when you're winning a lot of matches there's something that happens you you'll start to be very comfortable about your game, you know exactly what to do. And we saw that when there were important points, she always showed up. She raised a level and it's not by luck. It's because she knew, it seemed that she knew exactly what to do at that specific time. Because when you are, especially when you are tired, you go on autopilot. So I'm pretty sure that she had been training how to play those important points and to really work at practice those very strong, uh, strategies that, you know, you can apply in, in those moments. I mean, I, we saw it against, um, Coco Goff when she was two sets point down, two, two sets point down uh, against Maya Sakari when she had to save a match point. You know she was very able to use a forehand and to dictate the point, and also to use uh, a very good uh, backhand down the line. So she was able to know exactly what to do, and that's something I really recommend to to people uh, to have that very like clear game plan that you can use when it's crunch time. Very very massive and very important point to do. And uh, then I want to talk also about responsibility Uh, against when she played against um, Maya Sakari in the final, there was this, you know, point where she had a match point and then uh, she, Maya Sakari played the ball. It was called out. Then the, the chair empire came and overruled, gave it like, okay, no, it's in. And she's starting to, to argue. And then quickly she just shifts and say, okay, you know what, whatever. At the end of the match, she said that at this point, I quickly realized that there was nothing I could do. And the only thing I could control was to just say, okay, to tell myself, okay, you know what? It's okay. Just replay the point and try to win again. And that is something that to me is major and that shows how strong mentally she is because uh, again, if we all look at the context, it's like semi-final of a Grand Slam. We don't know if she's going to be back in the Grand Slam final ever. And you have a chair empire that just say, hey, you know what? No, you, you think you won the match and let me tell you, it's, it's not going to happen. I know that a lot of players would have been uh, completely shattered by that. That was not a case. I was so impressed with the way she kept a composure and was able to just say, you know what? no matter what, I'm going to be proud of myself. And she said, even if I had lost that match, I would have been really proud of the way I fought. And again, it's not so much about the results, it's about how you show up on court. And that's why that's why I really like that player because she she really gave so many good messages. I mean, if you have a chance to listen to interviews, just go on YouTube. She really gave very good speeches, very inspiring. And she really embodied that um, you know way of just be focused on uh, doing the best you can do, showing up and fighting until the last point, And then she was able to get the final win. I hope it's not just a, uh, a one hit wonder. And I, I really liked the game, the variety that she put into a play. So I really hope that we get to, to see her more in the future. So congrats to her. And, uh, and really, it, it, was, uh, it was wonderful to watch her play uh, during those uh, two past weeks. Uh, moving on to uh, Novak Djokovic victory, uh, definitely winning the second Roland Garros for for Djokovic was uh, just makes him like you know uh, closer and closer to to this GOAT status. I mean, I, I'm not gonna go into that GOAT debate because we, I mean, it's endless. But uh, definitely uh, being able to to win. Um, and to beat Rafa Nadal in the semi-final was definitely a massive achievement. So kudos to him. And uh, what was really important um, to to notice is that there was a, a clear shift between the final in the past October between uh, against Rafa Nadal and the match that he produced in the semi-final. So let's dig a bit. More into the way uh, Djokovic was able to to turn things around and to to get that second uh, Roland Garros victory. So number one, I I want to discuss the the power of planification and decision making. One thing with uh, with Djokovic is that he, he has this ability to to be very clear about his goals and and what he wants. And very early in the season, we kind of figured out that uh, clay season was a priority in his schedule. He won the Australian Open and he said that he needed time to recover, to just uh, recover physically, but mentally. I mean, as we know, there was a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of negative press against him during the um, Australian Open, so... It had it took that time to refresh and and then to to also, uh, ref, you know, um, define different goals for the season. So early on, he, he started to to prep on on clay on clay to to, to practice and uh, and to really have this uh, objective, which was to beat Rafael Nadal on clay. I mean that that made it really clear. He added the tournament. To his schedule, and uh, he, he was determined to get the win that uh, that uh, that this year. And uh, yes, again, like I said, he, he had that uh, he has this way of just deciding stuff. So he he planned this, this whole uh, second half of the season around Roland Garros. Uh, when we when we look at the the way he he chose the tournament and the way he played, we can see that he became more and more like then. Better and better throughout the season. He started in Monte Carlo uh, with uh, a win against Janis uh, uh, Sinner, but then lost uh, quite surprisingly against Daniel Evans, who is not uh, a clay court player, and uh, people were a bit worried. But then again, he he went to then he went to Belgrade and he won one more matches, then lost to Karpov in three sets. Uh, but still, you know, you can see that a uh, little by little it was improving. Then he went to Rome, where he won four matches and one against Stefanos Tsitsipas in a very uh, high quality match. Lost to Nadal, but I, I can tell that after that Rome tournament, team that he was um, he, he knew he actually um, got what he wanted to have. You know, this uh, usually they don't really Nadal and Djokovic don't really like to play against each other before the French Open. But this time, it was, like, very important for both of them to kind of have this uh, face-off before the French to kind of see where they were standing. So I think it was very interesting to see that for Djokovic, uh, it gave him, like, a lot of clues about what he needed to do in order to beat Rafa at the French, uh, and then he went to play uh, the week before. He went to play again in um, the second um, tournament in Belgrade, and a lot of observers were saying, "What is he doing? Why is he playing before the, fr- the week before the French Open? He's going to come. He's going to be tired." But again, I think that that that's what. Uh, I make Djokovic uh, I think stand out is that he knows what he's doing he did that because although he played only one player in the top 100 the goal for him was to play matches to play sets and uh, it, again it was not so much about winning of course he loves winning and he won the tournament but it was really about you know having the final adjustment and he knew that the way to get them was by playing a tournament so Definitely, when it comes to planning, um, we can really learn from him and understand that when you have a goal, then it's it's a, it's really about making sure that you plan everything around this objective and and not looking back. You know, you made a decision that okay, French Open was a priority for me this season, and I need to play. Um, as many matches as possible before the start of the tournament. So this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to add a tournament to my schedule and I'm going to play as many matches as possible. And then I find out that he was actually also training between the matches. So definitely he had that willingness to be as fit as possible to start the French. So that was the number one. What The second thing that really impressed me with Djokovic uh, during this tournament is is capacity... Uh, to not panic. We've seen in the past, I mean, Djokovic is, is a very, uh, uh, ex, I mean, extroverted uh, player. You know, he shows his emotions. Sometimes it gets the best of him, as we all know. And uh, But in this tournament, I, I found, um, and some people might say that, okay, it, it's a bit paradox because we all remember how much he was like yelling, you know, like a madman after his win against uh, Matteo Berrettini. But, I found him to be very calm during the matches to really um, use his energy uh, in a way wiser way than he's had in the past. Uh, If I take, for example, his match against uh, uh, Musetti, you know, he was losing two sets to love. And I was watching the match and said, oh, my gosh, okay, he's going to lose it. And he was very calm the whole time. And the same thing happened, you know, against Nadal. It, it, it seemed that he was the one that, you know, had everything under control and Nadal was more agitated because he didn't have solutions. Same thing against um, Stefanos Titsipas. So people, you know, said that, okay, um Yes, he went to the bathroom and then he became someone else and then it was his twin brother that came back. I mean, we, we can all talk about, you know, saying those, those things for hours, but I think what's important is to focus on on how to actually um, handle emotions when you are behind. And I've talked about uh, how, you know, playing tennis is kind of like driving a car, when everything is, is okay, it's like you have a green light. You know, my, my coach in university used to tell us that all the time, and I really like the analogy. You know, you, you, as long as you're winning, it's like a green light. You keep going. When you start making mistakes, okay, the yellow light is coming, and when you start, you know, losing games and, and sets, that's the red light, and that's when you need to stop. And by stopping, it means doing something different. It's allowed to go to the bathroom for three minutes, so why would you not do that? And he explained as well that he used this time to reset. And I think this is like something that we can all do. Uh, you also, We also have to take into account that changing environment can be very helpful because it helps you to see things with a different perspective. And in this case, uh, you, you when you play with like 10,000 people, you know, just yelling, uh, going outside, you know, to just have uh, quiet in your mind is actually quite a good option but for regular players you can just put your towel under you know your 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 head uh, on your head and um, take this time to just reset and calm yourself down however if you're not used to do that if you're not used to to be able to be focused yes it sounds like what he said I was yeah like, yeah, whatever a lot of people said how can you uh um uh, hypnotize yourself. It doesn't exist. But yes, actually, for the people who do uh, NLP and uh, all kind of um, hypnosis work, it's something that is, that's totally legit and uh, that can work. So I recommend for you that uh, when you are in that situation, when you are losing to take some time and it doesn't mean that you, you have to fake injury. I'm not saying that you have to cheat. That's not what we're talking about here, but it's about perhaps Taking more time between points, um, you know, just walk towards the end of the court to regroup. Maybe go into in the in the locker and change your shirt, whatever it is. But just to take time to analyze the situation and to come up with a different game plan. And I think this is something that we can all do, and doesn't make us cheaters. It just makes us smarter players. And I really want to say that if you are disturbed by a player. You know, leaving the court for two minutes, then um, it's not about blaming the employer. It's about like asking yourself why you cannot keep your focus. I think this is uh, also a way to take responsibility. I made a whole episode about uh, you know how to win against cheaters, and I really recommend that you, you go and check it out because I talk about this. You know, all the all the stuff that people consider as cheating that actually are not, and how to um find ways to to deal with them and to get the win. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend that you do so. Uh, so yeah. So that's the that's the thing and against Nadal what I really appreciate of him not panicking was that he was able to you know the match started and he was losing 5-0 like uh, in the final the the previous uh, on in October and it seemed that he was so calm that it was just like he knew that okay I had opportunities, and I know that I know exactly what to do. What impressed me the most in that match is that Djokovic seemed to have a very clear point, and he did something that I've never seen anyone do against Rafa Nadal, is that he was not afraid to, um, to go in the physical battle, and that's something that usually nobody does against, uh, against Rafa Nadal, and he just said, you know what, I'm going to give you a physical battle and at the end it seemed that Rafa was the one exhausted I don't know if he was injured or if he was physical Uh, he had like physical um, uh, problems because I mean uh, Nadal is such a huge champion so he will never use that as an excuse but it it really seemed to be uh, absolutely exhausted at the end and that's something that we've never seen. And, and I think this training, his planification, he just, he, he scheduled his whole uh, second part of the season for that match, for being that ready. And we saw that he had different strategies. He was always ready to just change and say, look, doesn't matter what you do, I'm here. And if we have to stay for five hours and five sets, dude, I'm game. And uh, And that's why he got the win. So that was very impressive. Uh, like I said, and then when he played against uh, Titispas, it was the same thing. He had this uh, dialogue with himself. He was able to say to just hold on and and to to keep believing in himself. Tell himself, okay. I can do this and I'm going to listen to my voice, to to my positive voice. And I think this is something we we deal with a lot when we're playing, we have this, you know, we have two voices, you know, and and just not on the court but in life in general, we we always have a voice that say that you can't and one say you can and sometimes the negative voice tends to be louder. But if we do the work on a regular basis to just be able, because negative emotions they are going to come. I'm not here to say that, you know, you can just uh, uh, block all the negative emotions. I actually think it's a very efficient way. And I know that some people say, oh, you have to always be positive. It doesn't exist. Nobody is always positive, even the Shaolin monks are not. So it's about accepting the fact that negative emotions are going to come. But then the, the thing is about what you're going to do with it. And um, how you can just find solutions, first of all, say, okay, when, when you say, oh, you cannot win, well, is that true? You, you never know. Then instead of saying, oh, I cannot win, okay, replace this with a question, what can I do to get the win? And that is something that really is, is helpful. And when you start to have this you know, um, attitude to ask questions, instead of saying, okay, this is the way it is, then you open yourself for solutions and possibilities, so that's what Djokovic said. He had this auto dialogue out loud. Okay, I can do this. I'm going to change tactics. I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to push more. And a little by little, you see that you can take the edge. And uh, and that's why I always say that Djokovic, you know, I, I made a whole episode about how I think is a is the best at shock empathy. I think because he is able to really understand when when someone is uh, is struggling. So so definitely it is... a. Uh, Big kudos to him. He was he was able to to do that. So so that's something I find very impressive. The last point that I want to bring up is about ambition. Uh, one of the things is that um, that we that we see a lot uh, when Djokovic says stuff. A lot he gets a lot of criticism, and I'm not here to to be the advocate or whatever, because uh, first of all, I mean, I, I, I'm not paid by Novak Djokovic to do that. So, um, but I, I think that uh, he gets a lot of criticism and, and part of it is because he's not afraid to state his ambition. And uh, when, he, when he, 10 years ago, he was saying that he's going to be as good as uh, Federer and Adal and win as many Grand Slam. I mean, when we look at 2010, when he was saying those things, he had one Grand Slam. Federer had 16, and uh, Rafa Nadal, if I'm not mistaken, I think had uh, nine or 11. I mean, he was very far behind. So, and everyone, myself included, thought that okay, this guy is just crazy. I mean, he needs to be. He needs to have a reality check. But one of the things with Djokovic is that he really uh, doesn't care so much, you know, uh, what other people think. I mean. He, I, I'll take that back. But what I'm saying is that he's not afraid to say out loud what he wants. And, uh, and you know, there was, I think it was Rafa Nadal that said, okay, he's obsessed with uh, having, you know, records and and I don't care. And, and then Djokovic said, well, I get a lot of criticism for saying what I want, but it's because of my belief in myself and believing that I can do it, that I was able to achieve. So, People see that's something negative, but actually it's something positive for me. And I think he makes a fair point. Uh, you, you can't judge someone who actually does what he says is going to do. And with we Novak, whether you like him or not, well, he delivers on his promises. And uh, and I think that for you, who, who's a tennis player, uh, you shouldn't be afraid of having you know, the, the ambition. I think ambition is a wonderful thing and it's something that you should never be ashamed of. And, um, and definitely having uh, big goals is, is something that puts pressure on you. I'm not going to lie, but it doesn't matter because it's about the chase and it's about putting everything into your power to be able to achieve those goals. And this is why I think that when you have um, ambition, you you are able to to just like start to and and you know un- surround yourself with people who are willing to help you to achieve your ambition. Don't surround yourself with people who are going to be oh you have to be realistic. I mean really by by all means if you have those people just stay away from them because they are not going to help you. And when you have that it actually helps you to be calmer. And I think that now I think it's starting to to be. Uh, a thing now. I find Djokovic to be more comfortable with the external look. For a long, time, people say, Oh, he wants to be loved by the people. But I feel like he started to just not care because he understood that, okay, it doesn't matter what I do, there will all be people to criticize what I do. And I think he's becoming more uh, relaxed about that and uh, more calm. I think that's, that's maybe why he was so calm because he knows exactly where he's going and he. No longer cares about the external look. At least that's what I felt from as an observer, of course. But I, I felt that he was very com- more comfortable with himself than uh, than he was like maybe a few years or few months ago. So that's something that you definitely want to take from him and uh, will help you, I think, to to achieve your goals. All right, and that's it for today. I really wanted to to focus on the on that um on those winning strategies from Barbara Krishikovas and uh and Novak Djokovic. Uh, the part two uh is coming and we'll be focusing on the losses of uh Rafa Nadal and um Stefano and how you can what you can do when you are losing a match that you were so close to win and had to recover from it. So if you like what you hear Don't hesitate to subscribe, leave comments, and uh, five stars would be wonderful. And until next time, bye.